I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. You think about it. Remember that song we used to sing as children? Maybe you didn't sing it, but I did because I'm old. <laughs> I'm in the Lord's army. You remember that one? I mean, you think about it. See, some of you younger guys even remember that, right? Yeah, I'm in the Lord's army. I'm going to, I'm in the Lord's, I'm going to fly over the, I'm going to shoot the artillery, you know. I mean, you, you um, and you know, I, I'm going to get to the text, and it kind of relates this song and what I'm saying. Um, by the way, the text is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 29 through 34, in case you're curious. Um, or can't read the words up there. First uh, <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 15, 29 through 34. Uh, and have you ever done anything and you said, yeah, I'll do that. And then you get in the middle of it and you go, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> you ever get there for that? I mean, and you ever been that way in the Christian life? It's not what I signed up for. I think sometimes when we, um, I'm going to give him the mic pretty soon. Just let him take care of it. Um, I think sometimes when we sign up as Christians or sign up, you know, we think, okay, well, I just pray and receive Jesus into my heart, and then I'm just going to go to heaven, cause everything, and everything between now and then is going to be wonderful, wonderful and perfect. And I think sometimes when we present the gospel, that's the picture we paint. And I think we need to learn to paint, because sometimes that's not, I mean, often that's not the way it goes. Uh, life's not full of just roses. There are thorns, there are difficulties sometimes. Um, and so... Um, you know, you, you, you sign up to be in an army when you, when you give your life to Jesus Christ. And sometimes there are battles, and sometimes there are difficulties. And, and um, oftentimes, um, those difficulties, we accept those difficulties, we take on those difficulties, and not only does it make us stronger, it, it strengthens our faith, and it encourages somebody else walking in some of those same kind of difficulties. Um, I used to, uh, you know, when I teach and when I sub, I always, they say, this is too hard, I can't do it. And I'm going, wow, tough noogies. I mean, that's what you got to do right now. And I got an idea for you. Why don't you do the hardest thing first? You know why I tell kids that? Because if they'll work on the hardest thing first, now they got the hardest thing out of the way. I'm going to do the easiest thing first. You know what? Then you've got to look forward to the hardest thing. If you do the hardest thing first, and you got that all the way, then you can just work backwards, and you finally got the easiest thing, and man, you finish that, and you're just off to a run. And sometimes as Christians, we want to do the easiest thing, not just first, but all the time. Um, and, and it's not always like that. The Apostle Paul was talking today, or in this text, about some of the things that he went through. He's trying to convince people that there is a resurrection, that because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, if we put our faith in him, he also will raise us from the dead. And there are some really strange arguments that they put forward or that happened in their lives or things that they did, and I'm thinking, I don't know how wrong they could be and still believe that there is a God or that Jesus Christ died for them. And so we're going to look at those things and try to handle them the best that we can um, and show us that, guess what? There is a resurrection. Christ did rise from the grave. And since he rose from the grave, because we put our faith in him, he also will raise us from the grave. 
take us to be with him in his mansion, in his home for eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, 29-34, and if you have your Bible, turn there, and if you're able, please stand as we read. <clears throat> Otherwise, pointing back, of course, to what he has said before, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits for those who have fallen asleep. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts bad habits, or good habits, pardon me. <laughs> Evil company causes bad habits. There, we can rearrange that a little bit. God bless us, everyone. Verse 34, awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Father, thank you for your word, correctly read and interpreted. In Jesus' name, amen. I got to tell you, that's not as bad as the time I called Jesus Judas, okay? <laughs> uh, hey, the word's infallible, I'm not, okay? I mean, I, and, and see, I look good, don't I, Adam? Look good, right, Adam? Look good, right? Every mo morning, I, he comes in and says, man, you look good today. I hope the sermon's as good as you look. <laughs> I'm going, dude, dude, don't put the pressure on. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Well, first of all, we don't believe in baptism for the dead, okay? And I'm confident that, that and, and there's like eight arguments that they give on all of this, okay? And you don't want to hear them. Okay, if you want to hear him, you can go to uh, the commentaries, New American Commentary, read all of the stuff that he has to say in the New American Commentary on the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm confident you don't want to hear him. If you did, I'd read them to you. Okay, if I thought you did, I'd read them to you. But I'm confident also that in this condemnation of um, their idea that the dead do not rise, in this sentence he says, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise? I am confident that the Apostle Paul, in his lumping them together and condemning the idea that there's no resurrection, he is lumping them together and condemning the idea of baptizing for the dead. I got it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because there is no sense in baptizing for the dead. Now, I just want to tell you that you may have been, somebody may have baptized somebody or been proxy baptized for somebody that you love that's already passed away because there are there are churches that believe that they need to baptize for the dead because they believe that if you are not a part of their specific church or cult then then you've got a chance to be saved if they get baptized for you okay but that puts nothing on you to trust in Christ and faith in Christ is what saves you not baptism okay Baby dedications don't save you. Tr faith in Christ is what saves you. And so I am confident that in this verse, when, he, when he's talking about this, and he has already said um, that, you know, condemn the idea and the, the, the heresy that there is no resurrection of the dead in Christ. 
He's already condemned that. And so putting these two things together, I believe he's condemning baptism for the dead also. And, and, and we can look at this and go, but they weren't baptizing for the dead in Corinth. Well, there's no strong evidence that they were. There's no strong evidence that they weren't. They know that, that in about the second century, they know that they were baptizing for the dead, but those were mostly heretics. I mean, they were heretics. I mean, they were heretics in other ways too, but they were, you know, and so uh, he's condemning both of these. So we don't want to get that mixed up and think that by mentioning this, the Apostle Paul is going, baptism for the dead is a good thing. Okay, we don't want to get that mixed up because he's not saying that. All right? So, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? You see, you got you to see their thinking here, okay? They're, they're speaking uh, uh, with a forked tongue. Nobody rises from the dead, but we're going to baptize for them just in case, okay? We're going to baptize for the dead just in case they do rise, just so we can give them the possibility that if this is true, but it's not, then they'll rise from the dead. So you see that they're, they're, they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth here. And he says, this is a ridiculous thinking. And you know what? This is the thinking of the world in a lot of things, isn't it? And I mean, you can list the ones you think of, all right? Um, why then are they baptized for the dead if there's no resurrection? doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense to do something for the dead if the dead don't rise. Just leave them alone. Don't mess with them. Don't do anything for them. Just live your life the way you feel like living your life. And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? You ever stood in danger? That's the word, what that word means, okay? Danger. Why do we stand in danger every hour? You know, um, you think about the Apostle Paul. You think about what he went through. And you can look in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 22 through 29. And, and, and I'm going to turn here and read those and see if we can understand a little bit about what the Apostle Paul went through. He lists the way that he was persecuted and some of the ways that he suffered. Well, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. <laughs> it's like, so what he's saying when he does that? By the way, I'm not preaching from this one, but I'm going to preach from this one. Are they Hebrews? So am I. In other words, it doesn't mean anything. doesn't help them in their salvation, okay? Are they Israelites? So am I. Doesn't help them in their salvation. Are they seed of Abraham? So am I. Doesn't save them. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. I, he says, and why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? Why do we? First of all, he's talking about them. Now he's talking about himself, okay? He's used the first one as evidence that the resurrection is real and that their thinking is faulty. And now he's using this one. Why do we stand in jeopardy? Why are we willing to do this? Why is he willing to take on those beatings? Why is he willing to be shipwrecked? Why is he willing to be whipped? Why is he willing to go through all of that stuff if there is no resurrection from the dead? And I could ask you the same question. Why are you willing to do what you're willing to do for Christ? 
And, and each of you are at a different level. You look at stair steps or ladder, whatever. Each of you are serving Christ at your level, and that's good. Okay? We are not called to serve Christ at somebody else's level or in a way that they're serving. You're called to serve Christ the way you're serving Christ. But why do you do the things that you do if there is no resurrection from the dead? Why do you stand in jeopardy? Why do you do those things? Um, why do you get up in the morning and say your morning prayers? Why do you read the scripture and study the scripture? Why do you teach your children and your grandchildren and even your great-grandchildren that there is a God that sent his son, Jesus Christ? Why do you do that? Why do you share the gospel in the public forum when you know that it's possible that you could get in trouble for that? See, to me, that's almost a challenge. Not quite, but almost. I, um, I had a... Uh, um, and I'm telling you that, that these things are going to become more and more dangerous as we go along. I, I had the, the opportunity to be the assistant track coach at Ransom Grade School this year. Um, and uh, um, the, the head track coach had surgery and wasn't able to be at most of the practices and most of the meets. And so I was there not knowing a thing about how to run a meet, not knowing a thing about how to make sure they were where they needed to be, learning from parents and learning from the, uh, the athletic director. And yesterday they had sectionals. And I told them, I don't know if I can be there on a Saturday because I've got church on Sunday morning. So I got there and showed up for that. And, um, and I said, I can be there for a little bit, but I got to leave. So I got there and all of them were looking around. I didn't think you were going to be here. Didn't think you were going to be here. So I met with a few of the boys. I was talking to them and they're standing on the... Um, uh, uh, just kind of the hill looking over the track. And I said, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm here and I want to root you on. I want to cheer you on. I want to encourage you. You're going to do great. You're going to do fantastic. Um, I said, but I've got to leave before it's over because I've got to go to bed so I can get up for church tomorrow morning. Church? What do you mean church? And, of course, a couple of them didn't know. Some of them do. And I said, well, I'm a pastor and I'm going to preach in the morning. He said, will you pray for us? <laughs> now, I've got to tell you, Ransom Grade School co-ops with St. Michael's, Okay. And, um, and so here I am, uh, standing facing them. They're on the hill, and the track's behind me. And I said, did you just ask me to pray for you guys? And I, he said, yeah. I said, good, because if you ask me, I can do it. I can't ask you. Otherwise, I'm going to jail. And they said, well, pray for us. I took my hat off, and I said a little prayer. I said, God, I, these guys are, are hard workers. They're hard runners. They're good kids. Keep them safe. Help them run well. Help them bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I finished, and they all crossed themselves. It wasn't on video, but this is. See, someday that's going to be standing in jeopardy every day because there are going to be people that are going to stand against that. And we know there have been examples of that in our history, recent history here in the United States. We have um, bakers. Uh, we have florists. We have artists. We have um, uh, fire chiefs. We have other coaches that have prayed with, their, you know, with people on the, on the field, and they've been fired for that. Why do we stand in jeopardy every day if there is no resurrection? I'm telling you that there is a resurrection, and that's why we stand in jeopardy, because we want other people to know that there is a resurrection, and it comes by God the Father and Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul says, why do we stand in jeopardy if there is no resurrection? I affirm, uh, and it says every hour. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul? Look, I mean, this guy was something, okay? And, um, and uh, I don't want to be like him. Um, because I don't want to spend a day and a night in the deep, okay? <laughs> uh, beatings and stuff, 
Maybe I can deal with that. Running, I can handle that, but I don't want to spend a day and night in the deep. He was amazing. And, and, I, and I think every morning the Apostle Paul would get up. Every morning he would get up knowing that he was going to go out from the place where he woke up. He would wake up and he would go, okay, God, here it is. I'm here again. Thank you for waking me up. I'm going to go out and maybe I'm going to get killed. Think about that. I mean, in a battle, right? That's what soldiers do. Every time they go out in the morning on patrol, every time they go out in the middle of the night on patrol, I'm here. Uh, that's what our officers, police officers do. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul may have done. And to look at what he said and, and think uh, every morning he'd get up and knowing that he may be put to death for his faith and for his preaching of the gospel. I think about Philippians 121. Anybody know what that one is? To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And the only way to die is gain is if there would be eternal life and a resurrection. And that's the way the Apostle Paul lived. That's the part of the Apostle Paul I want to be like. Ready for whatever comes. Every morning I get up and I want to say, okay, God, I'm here. I don't really want to live in jeopardy. I don't want to live in danger. I don't want to face all of those things. But, God, if that's what's going to happen... Bring it on. Let it happen. Why? Because there's a resurrection. If there were no resurrection, then guess what? That's not how I'd want to live. Because like he said in the, in, 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 in the, in the passage before, or a couple weeks ago, uh, our preaching would be in vain if there were no resurrection. Our preaching would be a lie if there were no resurrection. So we go on. I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in day. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. And I think that's that prayer that he has. And, that, that, and he may not have prayed that, you know, just conjecture. Gets up every morning, he's ready for whatever happens. He's ready to continue life. He's ready to die for Jesus Christ. If in the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. Now, there is no record in what I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that he ever fought beasts at Ephesus. All right? But I know uh, this was written from Ephesus. Okay? The book of First Corinthians was written from Ephesus. And I can think, see, that's possible that as he was writing this, he was thinking about all of the people that were opposing him in Ephesus. All of the men, all of those who were in uh, leadership in government, maybe in the synagogues, maybe in the, of the Gentiles, all of them who were opposing him, and he looked at them as beasts. Because sometimes men are beasts. Men are animals. Sometimes that's how we act. And I can see that the, this, um, this, this metaphor, this analogy, if you will, whatever it's called, that he would look at those men snarling and growling and, and trying to uh, prove him wrong in his, in his preaching, trying to prove his theology wrong, trying to prove that there is no God, that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. I can see him calling them beasts in Ephesus. Seeing them growling like that, trying to tear him to pieces. And he says, if in the manner of men, in the manner of men, I have fought with beasts in Ephesus, what advantage is it to me in the manner of men? You see, you can get philosophers together and they can argue and argue and argue and argue. They have nothing about God whatsoever in their arguments. And that's the kind of thing he's talking about here. If in the manner of men. In other words... If I'm fighting a battle just for something that men believe and not for something that's true, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what advantage is it to me? 
If the dead do not rise, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Now, this comes from Isaiah chapter um, 22, verse 13, and it's a time when, when uh, they're prophesying against the city of Jerusalem. And they know that things are going to happen, that somehow there's going to be a judgment, that the army is going to invade. Now, in that, there's a warning for them to repent so that the army won't invade. Instead of saying we repent, they say, well, let's eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we're going to die. We'd rather do this than repent and follow God. So let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You know, there's a uh, saying that was going around a long time ago, and I don't know if it's still going around. You remember it? YOLO. You remember that? Anybody? Am I the only one? You only live once. Anybody remember that? Does anybody remember the saying, you only go around once in life? What about go for the gusto? He doesn't like those sayings any more than I do. <laughs> YOLO, you only live once. That is as false as any doctrine you can ever come up with. Because there is a second life. There is a resurrection. And so, you know, the idea with this you only live once was you may as well do whatever you want to do. Have a good time. Enjoy your life. Live the way you want to live. Spend your money on whatever you want to spend it on. Do what you want to do. That was the idea with y YOLO. Now, we know that's not true. You only live once. Because we know there is a resurrection. We know there is an eternity after this physical life is done. We know that when we die, we're going to end up in one of two eternities. In the presence of God the Father, or in the presence of the father of lies, Satan and his demons. We know there's a second life. You only live twice because there is a resurrection. And the people of Paul's day were saying, well, you only live once. Go for the gusto. You only go around once in life. And he's trying to show them that, guess what? That is not true. And then he says, do not be deceived. Let's see if I can read this right. Evil company corrupts good habits. He gives three imperatives, three commands here in the last couple of verses. One, don't be deceived. In other words, what he's saying is, by believing this doctrine, this teaching, that there is no resurrection, you are being deceived. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. He's not saying don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits in, in the idea that, that they don't think evil company corrupts good habits. They may not. But he's trying to warn them that they're being deceived by this doctrine that there's no resurrection. And the reason they're being deceived is because they're ha hanging out with people of evil company. And they're listening to their teaching. And the thing is, you can hear somebody say, ah, oh, there is no resurrection. But if that person claims to be a Christian, you better be careful about how long you hang out with them. You better be careful about that. Because it's possible that if you hang out with them and listen to their heresy very long, you will come to believe the same wrong doctrine and wrong teaching that they believe and you will come to believe that there is no resurrection do not be deceived evil company corrupts good habits 
And he says, awake to righteousness. And this is kind of a connection to the next one. And do not sin. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. It's kind of a coin toss, flip of the coin, right? You see this coin and it's got two sides. It's got a head and a tail. And they're both a part of the same coin. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. You put one together, guess what? You flip the coin. Today, awake to righteousness. Take this coin, flip it. Oh, do not sin. It's all in the same coin. It's all together. And they're all working. They're awake to righteousness and do not sin. And I think he's talking here about don't fall into this belief that there is no resurrection from the dead. For some do not have the knowledge of God. Some do not have the knowledge of God. Awaken, sober up. That's kind of what that awaken to righteousness is talking about. It's talking about uh, becoming sober, arousing out of a sleepy state instead of walking around kind of like zombies just accepting whatever wind of doctrine they might be tossed at them. Awaken from your awaken to righteousness and do not sin. For some have not the knowledge of God. Who's he talking about? He's talking about those who believe there's no resurrection. Some have not the knowledge of God. And then he says, I speak this to your shame. I think that's pretty interesting there because they don't know. And I wonder when he, when he looks at that and, and, and he's saying some have not the knowledge of God, I wonder who he's talking about. I mean, we know he's talking about the group that don't believe in the resurrection. But who are they? Are they people who have been in the congregation since the time the apostle Paul was there? Because I kind of doubt that. I, I'm not sure, you know, it's conjecture, it doesn't say. Or are they people who have been converted since the time that the Apostle Paul was in Corinth? That's kind of what I think. Okay? So what happened, the way I see it is, they have new converts, but they're um, not fully discipled yet. They don't have this strong grounding of their faith. They don't understand the true doctrines of the Christian faith. And so he says, I say this to your shame. They don't know the knowledge of God, don't have the knowledge of God. Why? Because you haven't really taught them the knowledge of God. And, and, and that's honestly how cults start. That's how false uh, religions start. When somebody says, oh, I know, I've got this, you know. I've got a part of the knowledge of God, but I don't have the whole thing. And so, and, and also by knowing God, having full knowledge of God, knowledge of God, it keeps us from straying, keeps us from going astray. And so as we look at all of this, we see that it's important that we understand the doctrine that there is a resurrection, that baptism doesn't do anything for us. It's a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it doesn't save us. We see that, that um, those who came before us often stood in jeopardy every hour. You think about even not just the apostles, but you think about some of those who came from Europe to, to the new world to establish uh, um, a, a, a new country and came because they wanted freedom of religion. And in many of those states, some of those states were saying, well, we're going to be this, we're going to be this, we're going to be this, but if you're this, you can't come to this state and preach in this state. We have a lot of Baptist preachers that preached in a lot of states that were thrown in jail because they believed that the government shouldn't run religion. And they stood in jeopardy every day preaching that. And today, it's not just the pastors that stand in jeopardy. It's the lay people who work 
outside of the church and who are ready to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet in many places, you're not free to do that. You think about all of the persecution in some third world countries. Think about the Christians that have to hide because if they don't, they're going to be put in jail and possibly even beheaded. Think about the fact that they tear crosses off of some churches in many countries or they even tear down the whole church. But they arrest the pastor. They take their phone and they go through their phone to find out all their other contacts so they can arrest the rest of the congregation. And many times we're afraid to pray with some of the track team in public because we're afraid what might happen. He says, I say this to your shame. So we talk about the resurrection. We talk about the fact that it is real and it is true. And so we come to this time when we close. Let me ask you in this congregation, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that he was raised from the dead? And because he was raised, you also can be raised. And you can spend eternity with him. Eternity worshiping him. And I don't, there's no better word to say than in heaven. And so we're going to have a hymn of decision. I surrender all. And I'm going to offer you the opportunity, if you've never trusted in Christ, I'm going to be at the front. I'm going to be there to receive you, for you to come and say, Pastor, I'm ready to trust Christ. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to be included in this resurrection because I believe that it's true. Might be that there's another decision that you need to make. I don't know what it might be. Might be that you just need to come and, and kneel here and pray. Might be that, that you're ready to make Urban Avenue Baptist Church your home church and become a member of Urban Avenue Baptist Church. We're going to pray. Then we're going to stand and sing. And while we're singing, if God is speaking to you, you come. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your forgiveness. God, I thank you that you are God, that you are mighty, that you are the God who created the heavens and the earth, that you are the God who created humanity, all of mankind. God, that you are the one who sent your son to die for us so we could have eternal life. Thank you that you are the one who raised him from the grave and who also will raise us in his likeness. Father, I thank you for your people here today. God, I pray that, that we will not be like the folks at Corinth that he says, I say this to your shame, but God, that we will teach and train and raise people up, teach them the truth of the gospel and preach your word. Father, if there's anybody here that needs to make a decision for you, I pray that this morning they will make that decision. They will trust you. They will follow you. They will do whatever it is that you call them to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.